Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening from wherever it is that you're listening to us from. Welcome to episode number 10 of Off the Shelf, a podcast that looks at what it means to be a true follower of Jesus in the context of Scripture and the message of William Branham. With me is my co-host, Brian Lynch. Welcome, Brian. Hey, Rod. We are happy to once more welcome back James Rozak for the third installment of our conversation with him. Uh, James Rozak is the author of MorningMercy.com, and uh, we are so happy that he is with us. James, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. James, we were talking last time about you were leaving the message, coming out, and and kind of brought you up to the point where you left the message and the questions you had. When did you start MorningMercy.com, and why did you pick that name? Well, Well, ironically, I actually started it prior to leaving the message. It was meant to be a message, you know, a a tool from myself as a message minister. Um, I had it registered. I was ready to go. And and, and some of it stemmed from my um, desire to help people um, with kind of the the counseling side of because I really felt there was a void of that. And it wasn't that I was going to try and supersede their pastor. But, you know, if I could publish some information that maybe would be of benefit, that's kind of where it came from. But then, of course, I went through the leaving the message and that whole thing kind of got uh, sidetracked in a significant way. But the premise still stood of um, morning mercy. You know, uh, his mercies are new every morning and a fresh start. It was just that kind of a perspective of taking a, a new a new journey, a new road, and realizing the mercy and the grace that that would lead you through that. So um, that's kind of the the idea of morning mercy itself. And um, I I don't think I really started publishing anything on morning mercy until you know a, a several months after I had actually left. I, I was too raw. I didn't feel like I could open myself up you know, to be of benefit for anybody. I was trying to hold on for myself in a lot of ways. And, uh, so that's kind of the beginning of it. Um, that was my desire. It was to just kind of provide it as a, a resource for people looking for, and it wasn't the, the theological side or the discrepancies of the message. Um, you were doing that so well through Believe the Sign. There was the other websites searching for vindication and, and other ones that were, yeah. yeah, I didn't need to do that. It was being, that was being done in, you know, in excess. In, and so uh, I also um, kind of thought that there was a lot of people who were perceiving the tone of Believe the Sign, like the emotions were raw really raw and people were you know they were looking reading it and they were thinking all oh, these you know these bergens are angry and you know john collins he's an angry bitter person and so I, my nature by by nature i'm i'm just soft non-confrontational i thought you know maybe i could provide a whole different tone and and not provide answers per se but just say hey like <laughs> It's you're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And we we really have appreciated the tone of your site. It's very uh, pastoral. Yeah. I just uh, I really think it's it's uh, being a benefit to a ton of people. And we link to your website from uh, Believe the Sign on a page that we have about okay, what do I do next if I'm confronting these issues? Where do I go? Yeah. And uh, first place I'd send people is to uh, MorningMercy.com. Well, that's yeah. that's appreciated. And we got a lot of traffic. We did. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you still do. Yeah. What's that experience been like running a, a website? You know, at the beginning, I was thinking I was almost doing it for myself, you know, just to 
to, to be able to articulate things that were going on in myself, you know, just, just to write, writing is therapeutic in a way. And, sure. but then I put a form on the, on the website and it was, it was a, kind of in a form of a survey, like what, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? What's your opinion of the message and that sort of thing. And, uh, they began to trickle in. And uh, the, at times I was getting, you know, numerous uh, submissions a day of, of these forms. And I don't know, by the end I had, you know, hundreds of them. And um, yeah, and then people were also given the opportunity to share their story a little bit. And, you know, I actually couldn't, I couldn't keep up. I couldn't answer them all. And I felt terrible for that. It was, it was just, it was too much. And emotionally, I, I, I actually had to stop for a while because it was, you know, you're reading some very raw things, um, people hurting, people confused, people who were, you know, being threatened to be kicked out of their homes, out of their churches, uh, spouses disowning spouses, um, families that were fractured and broken, people who didn't want to see their family anymore. And, you know, it, it was some of it was just uh, gut wrenching to read. And and, and unfortunately, um, you know, people were going through that but that again was just kind of confirmation that something's wrong this shouldn't be happening even if you had a disagreement um it shouldn't come down to you won't even see your child and your grandchildren because they reject the message like there's something wrong (laughs) so i and these are the people that are supposed to be filled with the pure love of god right yes (laughs) Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was uh, very telling and um, kind of front row seats to kind of what was happening. Uh, like, I felt like sometimes I was running out to the battlefield and there was wounded people laying down everywhere. And you're just kind of trying to help drag somebody to the trenches to to, to tend to them a little bit as best you could with the yeah. few materials you had. You know, it's it was a triage. That's hard. Yeah, that's hard dealing with that stuff. Yeah. Uh, James, I had a family member tell me that uh, I was an enemy of his pastor, talking yes. about my former pastor, Donnie Reagan. Yes. He said, yes. you're an enemy, of, which I'm not his enemy, but his yes. perception was, he said, you're an enemy of my pastor, and therefore you're my enemy. Yeah. And it, it's it's real. It's heartbreaking, but it's it's real stuff. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and friends who, you know, you thought they were actually friends. And the surprising thing for me, I mean, I left church. I didn't go to church for a month. And then another church started up, and that's a long story. But, you know, when, when we ultimately, I didn't, I, I, you know, I didn't leave it because I wanted to leave it. Yeah. I was basically, they didn't want me there because I was asking all these questions. And they said, look, you're shaking everybody's face. But then, you know, you leave and people that you thought you were their friends. I mean, people I visited in the hospital, you say, well, you know, can I go for lunch? You know, number one, they don't want to have lunch with you. Number two, they never came and talked to you because they're concerned. You know, the Bible says the wounds of a friend are, are faithful, right? Or something like that. I'm quoting it wrong. But a friend, if he sees you going the wrong way, he's going to go and grab you and say, like, like, look, you need to be straightened out. And that's the thing I appreciated so much about Joe and Anna Baroni, who I didn't know very well, but they were better friends to me than than most of the people who I thought were my friends. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, speaking on that, kind of something that I've learned after leaving, uh, I, I, I don't blame the people per se, because I now understand a whole lot more about the, the kind of the psychology of what, what occurs in somebody who's within that system. It's a system yeah. and the system functions because people uh, behave in that manner and they treat, you know, 
there's a fear, a phobia factor that the people, I'm sure, um, like I had the same experience where, I mean, just a handful of people that bothered to call me, um, and the people who went out, like I, I, they asked me out for coffee or something, you know, just to say like, well, what happened? And, and so I would, I, maybe I should have told them more flat out, like, this is what happened, but I would, I would give them the, the option. I, I didn't, I didn't want to hurt them. I guess at that time, I knew they were probably very scared about what was happening. So I said, I'll tell you as much as you want to know, I would give that disclaimer and they basically didn't want to know anything. It, it came down to that. I shouldn't have given them the option maybe, but I was very tender at the time to not wanting to make enemies with my, you know, I was hoping to maintain the relationship, but uh, yeah, there was no dialogue. It really came down to, I had one friend, uh, probably my best friend, you know, thumped his chest and basically said, you know, um, I just know this is true. I just know this is true. And I kind of fed a couple things in there thinking like, why don't you ask me? Like, why don't you ask a question? You know, why can't there was no questions. There was no interest. And I'm, I understand, you know, I understand that they, to ask questions is to make themselves vulnerable, to put them yeah. deliberately in cognitive dissonance. Like, so why ask a question that's going to make you uncomfortable, you know, and they didn't. Well, the other thing, the other thing too, is there's some really bad teaching. Uh, you know, there's this quote that William Branham said, Jesus said, how can two walk together less yes. to be agreed? Of course, Jesus didn't say that. <laughs> the prophet Amos did. <laughs> right. All right. And, and then, but then William Branham takes this interpretation to say that God doesn't want people to be in unity. He doesn't want them to be friends. You can't be friends if you have a basic disagreement about something that's important. Yeah. But the problem is when you actually look and you say, okay, you know what? The King James Version, this 400-year-old English, I wonder how that would be translated today from the original Hebrew. Right. It's, and so when you look and you say, okay, in, in, in Amos 3.3, it says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, what it actually, if you read this in, in some of the more recent translations where we have a better view of the Hebrew, a better understanding of the Hebrew than they did in the 1600s, and we also use different language. And so here's, here's a couple of different translations. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Hmm. Do two walk together unless they have made an appointment? Do two people start traveling together without arranging ahead of time? Right. <laughs> Do two people walk together without having met? Right. And so it's got nothing to do with being in agreement. It's 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 talking about something completely different. Yeah. I won't go into it, but you have to get the context. But it's got nothing to do with being in unity. Right. And and particularly on issues like that. And so people hear that. Well, uh, uh, Rod left the message. James left the message. Brian left the message. And I can't walk together with them because then I can't be in agreement with them. And they're they're they don't understand yeah. scripture. It's, it's yeah. not saying that. I have to be fair. I just want to throw this in there that there were some people who did call me and did want to talk. And I appreciated that very much. And in some instances, I, I didn't have the capacity to even talk about it for a while. And so, you know, I, I probably even turned some people away just because I wasn't wanting to. I was too raw. I didn't have answers either. And that, that confused me I, because I left without clarity sure. and that's not something i tell people who are just leaving the message it's you don't have to have the answers right away you know you, it's going to take time you can't expect to you can't expect to argue with somebody who's been so grounded in this perspective um so if they're they're throwing quotes at you you you, you kind of have 
you know, kind of you've been paying respect to that so much that you kind of believe it in and you don't know what to do with it, you know. And so a lot of people are uncomfortable facing conversation. That's fair. It's fair to say it's it's fair to yeah, say I don't yeah, I don't have sure. an answer for that right now. I'll get back to you. But that's what they don't do is, you know, they dismiss right. it and that's it. And we're not looking into that. And that's such a great point. Yeah. Such a great point about not having to have the answers because we see so often uh, we get asked the question, well, if this isn't true and if this isn't the answer and if he's not the final Elijah and all that, what is? You tell me what's the yes. truth. Where am I supposed to go? Yeah. And, and, and in the beginning, you feel like if you don't have the answer, you're somehow at a huge disadvantage. Yes. And that's just yes. totally false. Yes. So. Yep. Well, and you find out that's the wrong question. Of course. Yeah. Right? I mean, they're asking a question that they think they have one answer to. It has to be William Branham. But that's not the right question in yeah. terms of scripture. It's been very interesting. Of course, you know, I disappeared for a while because I just wanted to get away and try to sort this stuff out after uh, after we uh, were excused from attending the church any, any longer. Of course, in the period while I was away, we published the Believe the Sign uh, website. Well, it went from being pro-Branham to telling the truth in objective fashion about William Branham. And of course, that freaked out a lot of people. So I think I, I think I managed to scare most of them away, <laughs> but it's it's unfortunate. <clears throat> I want to I want to take a little bit of a change. We had a, we had a question in from uh, a listener, and I thought it might be interesting to direct this question to you, James, from a pastoral standpoint. Um And here's the question that our listener emailed to us. I noticed that our minister, and this is someone who is currently attending a message church. I noticed that our minister almost every week at least mentions once that women should wear a long skirt, shouldn't have any makeup or cut their hair in any shape or form. And often he adds, well, you can hate me for telling you these things, but then you must hate God's prophet too, because he told it first. It sounds as if he is feeling that, (laughs) that, excuse me, that there is something wrong with these regulations. So he tries tries to protect himself by saying, hey, it's not my fault that you have to suffer because of these rules. Right. So the listener asked us, can you talk about similar experiences you've had? I'd appreciate if you could do a whole podcast on this subject. What does the Bible tell us according, you know, on these things? James, what would your response be to this individual? It it really is a difficult subject, um, given the amount of tension that is given towards the outward appearance of of people in their attire and those sorts of things. And so quite often, I'm sure you'll agree, one of the main questions that people have when they come out of the message or they're looking at it are questions of modesty. And the Bible certainly does advocate for it. So modesty is certainly not without value to those who leave. Um, And when you look at it from the standpoint of William Branham, um, because of his position of authority, Uh, we've exalted him to the position of being a a word prophet. And so uh, when he gave his thoughts and his opinions on virtually any issue, it pretty much became a creed. It's something that uh, I would have fought against to imply that William Branham gave us creeds. But at the same time, when you look at the way that we handled issues and questions, we would always take them back to the message uh, we would always go back and look at things like questions and answers, or we would scour his database, you know, to, to search up a quote about any issue, about modesty, about dress, about lifestyle, about, you know, the do's and don'ts. And and so from that standpoint, we gave him and his opinion so much weight. And that's where I really think that it's important to look at the the ministry of William Branham because we gave him such a position of authority over everything in our life. 
Um, and and that's where, you know, if William Branham gave an opinion, uh, it kind of absolved a, a minister or a pastor from having to give a real uh, thoughtful answer. He could basically refer them to a message or to a quote and it became basically a because William Branham said or because Brother Branham said so. And that was your response to, you know, any issue. Um, holiness to me is perhaps the most contentious issue in the message. And I'll give you an example. Like uh, a woman could come into a church. Uh, she could be faithful in her attendance. She could dress in the exact a proper way by whatever standard that that particular church held and no one would question whether she had an understanding of the seals or the church ages or anything like that uh, what she understood of the message didn't matter as much as if she was wearing the right thing and she was attending so long as those things were being done no one really asked or cared about what was going on inside and that might seem extreme to say it that way, but I really do think that's how it was perceived. You know, so long as you're showing up, so long as you're dressing right, you're okay. And But heaven forbid if she came in wearing the wrong shoes or something of that nature, you know, then suddenly the, the deacons are stirring or people are looking and wondering, like, is something wrong? And, and because of that, and begins to beg a question of where is the line between being saved and being lost? And that line was always being presented by the way that people preached, by the way that the quotes were uh, given on issues and topics. And a minister many times could easily have people dangling over hell by, by these issues, you know. And so it begs that question of where is the line and people were always looking for that line maybe not because they want to edge up to it but because they were afraid that maybe they would cross the line and and it became really a salvation issue on so many things and people were always in an inner turmoil or bothered by somebody else in the church or you could go from message church to message church and you would see differences and it raised questions of, well, are they like us? Are they one of us? And it caused fractures and divisions and many issues that you would see across the spectrum of the message. And that, and as far as a biblical perspective, Paul had to address those things, you know, in the early church. Um, if you just look at the, the confusion that was happening as the Gentiles and the Jews were um, we're now beginning to mingle because of the gospel. And, and the Jews, of course, came from a very traditional law-driven in uh, life. And so issues like circumcision, traditions of meats and holy days and all those things, they, they were causing a problem between the Gentiles and the Jews. And how do you bring this common uh, gospel to them? People had the same questions. What do we do with these laws? And what is the response of grace in relation to do's and don'ts? And, you know, because of that, Paul had to make clear, if you accept, for example, circumcision and depend on law keeping to prove your salvation, then it made the gospel or it made Christ of no effect. And that's why these things are are big issues for people sitting in message, message churches. They're, they're wondering if I do the wrong thing, if I cross, what is the line that I cross to where um, my salvation is lost? And and Paul says, you know, if you make it about that, then that renders the gospel, that renders Christ of no effect. 
It's a big deal. It really is. James, from my perspective, I look at Acts 15, 22 to 29, and I won't go through reading the whole passage, but it's a retelling of a meeting of the apostles and a letter that they wrote to the Gentile church. And the problem with some of William Branham's teachings, he didn't even consider the implications of this letter. So this was a formal letter that was written by the apostles and the elders to the Gentile church. And then Paul and Barnabas uh, took it with them. And what it basically says is, look, we don't want to bind a heavy burden around the necks of the Gentile people. So we're just going to ask them to do four things. Don't commit sexual immorality. Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Don't eat the meat from an animal that's been strangled and don't eat blood. And then they say, you will do well to avoid these things. And Paul mentions this again later in Acts 21, 25, where he says, as for the Gentile believers, we've written them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. And there's a couple of things that are really critical and critically important about this letter that came from the apostles and the elders to the Gentiles. Number one, James, the brother of Jesus, was led by the Holy Spirit to voice this decision. Every single one of the apostles were in agreement with him. They ended the letter with a simple farewell. So the issue of obedience to any Old Testament law was basically settled there in the infancy of the church and Christianity and for all time. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not by conformity to any law. And and Acts 21-25 is in the context of Paul and some Jewish believers going to the temple to perform some purification ceremonies under the law. And what Paul's saying is, look, here's these four things to the Gentiles. The Jewish law doesn't apply to Gentiles. And so William Branham taking laws forward into the New Testament from the Old Testament just doesn't mesh with what the apostles said. And there's there's even other things. There's no mention of a requirement to pay tithes. There's no requirement for women to dress in a particular way. So according to the apostles, William Branham's regulations are just way off base. And it's also interesting that, to the best of my knowledge, and I did a search, William Branham never even quoted from the letter that the apostles wrote to the early church, which contains these direct commandments from the apostles to the Gentiles. Exactly. And and one of the things that I know that, you know, my wife, of, of course, was of a particular interest in these things because, you know, we didn't want to. Um, there's a thing called antinomianism. I, I believe it's that's the term. Yep, it's that's like exactly. A, yeah. Yes. It's it's, you know, being um, adverse to any law or or any such thing like morality or, or sorry, modesty um, still applies. It still has value. It still is important. But the definition of how you, you know, the details of that, you can't find that in the Bible. You, you cannot no. find the specifics of how you're supposed to dress specifically. And right. so in that, in that light, I know that, that was the thing that really began to open up something. It's William Branham did the work of specifically applying laws and rules by which we were supposed to operate. And by doing that, he said in order kind of a, a perfectionism and that was one of the things that really tripped me up in the message itself is in relation to the gospel was you know the the he tells the story of the the uh, the rail car you know of of being sealed by the holy ghost and and how the inspector will come to the to the car and he'll begin to look at the car each rail car and to pick them apart you know to see if there's anything missing or anything out of place 
And if he found anything at all that was incorrect, you know, then he would not, he would rip everything out and you had to start all over again to make sure that the car was packed. And then when it was perfectly packed, then he'd seal it and then the train could go, you know, and that perspective, it, it, when you apply that to a sister sitting in church or a brother sitting in church, looking at their own life, they'll never make it. They'll never qualify. And, it's non-biblical. And no, it, it makes that, and that's an anecdote though that William Branham would present, yeah. and, it's, and the ministers would present that service after service after service like this man, and it puts a pressure that is unnecessary. It's just not. It's not biblical, and so no wonder that people are are are, are questioning their salvation even because. You know, there's, I mean, William Brown even said, you know, you go through a justification and then you go through a sanctification, get all cleaned up. And then if you get cleaned up so much that you're, that you're approved of God, then, then you get sealed with the Holy Ghost. And people are always wondering, do I have the Holy Ghost? Am I good enough? Because they're failing. And then they have to go back to their justification to figure out if they're even saved. And this this vicious cycle that happens. And legalism plays a huge role in that. So, James, moving to um, a kind of back to kind of more general things, what's the most profound thing that you've come to realize since you've left the message? Oh, boy. You know, that that's a it's hard to nail it down to one um, or a couple. I mean, uh, yeah. OK, well, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you two things. Um, first of all, in the message, um, I, I was I was told that, you know, you'll never, ever, you'll never, ever find people outside of this message who are as passionate and as as knowledgeable and, you know, as loving and, you know, any of these things The my whole entire perspective of Christianity as being somebody who was born in in the message, essentially, and only knew the message going outside of it. I was absolutely blown away at the quality of people and yeah. that, that dispelled that dispelled so many things for me. I, I felt absolutely lied to, you know, yeah. as far as what it was like out there. I remember going into church. I mean, within one year of being in the church that we went to, I saw more missionary community minded work. Um, and of course, in the message, we would dismiss that as being like, well, you know, the, the seed will come to us almost, <laughs> you know, right. if there's seed, they'll find a way. But these people go out and they contributed to the community. They brought people in. They were active. They were loving. It was a, it was wonderful. It, and so that was one thing. And the other side is just, you know, just understanding. And it, it kind of comes from my journey through the message and really caring about the people. It's, you know, it's just kind of what happens to uh, I'm going to use the word cult because I do believe it's more or less that. But. You know, what happens to people within that system that really binds them and understanding those things really helped me understand why I had such a hard time coming uh, or, or leaving and, and, and why people have so much trouble leaving. And if you look at the parallels between the message, between virtually any group that is abusive spiritually, um, the parallels are identical. You could switch the label, message believer with another label, and it's the... It's identical. The, the same yeah. tactics. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So that was profound to me because, you know, there's a reason why people have trouble leaving. And and it's not just because the message is so true. It's because you're being manipulated and the material does that. And, the, and it's a system. Yeah. You mentioned that it's more or less a cult. I want to give you a chance to expand on, <laughs> expand on that a little bit. So yeah. from where you're sitting right now, what is your current view of the message? You know, um, 
Well, I do. I do think it's it's pseudo. I, do I think there's Christians inside of the message? I actually do. They are trapped. They are victims of good intentions, and they're good people. I I couldn't say enough good things about so many people in those churches. Yeah, yeah agreed. It, it's not about the people. It's you know when I look at that system of how it works, it makes sense why it is the way it is. I think the message will continue to function for many years. Do I think there's an end? I mean, there's debate over, you know, various people who have different opinions on how long this could go. I think it could go for a long time. And I think there's going to be, I think time is the worst enemy of the message because, you know, people are dying. <laughs> uh, the witnesses are dying. The, you know, uh, Oral Roberts and Billy Graham were supposed to be the two messengers to Sodom and one of them is gone and one of them's on the doorstep of, you know, his last days, Billy Graham. And, you know, what happens when he goes? What happens when Billy Paul dies? What happens when Joseph Bradham dies? De- you know, depending on how long, the you know, things go on, it's going to be more and more problematic. It'll keep going. Yeah. But they're given all the information we have now, there are going to be fewer and fewer and fewer people coming into the message. Because when you actually do a little bit of research, you go, oh, my goodness, I'm getting into a big mess here. Yeah. And, and really, they, they sustain themselves by multiplication in, you know, children, childbearing. They, no, sure. They, the kids grow up and they have a severe disadvantage. And that's how it sustains. Yeah. They don't convert. When you look at the, uh, you know, like Jehovah's Witness and uh, the Seventh-day Adventist, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, the uh, Church of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, uh, you look at their history because they're older than uh, as a whole than the message. Uh, they survive also by doing what's called moving the goalpost. So yes. whatever reason you have to, 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 it's like a defense attorney, whatever needs to happen in order to construct a story that matches the evidence as best as it can. And then when there's new evidence presented, they construct a new story and you, you have to look no further than the, the explanation of the cloud. You know, if you look at the original yeah. uh, intro from Billy Paul, it matches William Branham's story. If you look at, at the explanation now, it's, it's tried to take into account all of the, concerns that have been raised but it, it just doesn't do it so they'll move the goalpost as long as they can but there's a limit to how far you can move he yeah. must have been in a heavenly dimension when he saw that stuff exactly. but when you read it he definitely yeah. wasn't yeah. Right. yeah 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 james i want to thank you very much for coming on with us this has been um, very enjoyable for me and i am sure that our listeners are going to be very taken with what they've heard and and the honest concern that you have for uh, people that are still in the message and and the concern that you had for people while you were in the message we we really appreciate that thank you i appreciate that too we're going to wrap this up now james i i would really like you to come back in the future if you uh, if you're interested and we'll if we get some questions in from some of our listeners maybe we can deal in a future podcast with some of those specific questions certainly that'd be great as always if you would like to send us an email there's a link on the offtheshelf.life website you can email rod at rod at offtheshelf.life or you can reach me at brian that's brian with a y at offtheshelf.life also our website contains a comment section after each podcast click on the title of the podcast and it will take you to the page for that specific episode comment section is at the bottom of the page have a great weekend everyone and we'll see you next time
falling 